I got your Christmas card in the mail already. I know it's your wife. Exactly. But it's got nothing to do with I, it. All, the only thing that I do is I help vet the address list and I print the labels because I can do a <laughs> well, mail Sam, merch. Tall Sam looks disappointed because I don't think he got one. I did. Yeah, you got oh, one. Yeah. Okay. And your wife was but, like, why haven't we sent our Christmas cards out yet? We're usually pretty early too, but that's because my wife you know, has got it together. I wouldn't send Christmas cards. If I did, they would go out the 21st. Yeah. Maybe of January. <laughs> and they would be printed on my own printer. I will not send Christmas cards. But does your wife? Occasionally. No, yeah. But I have nothing to do with it. No. How do we feel about Christmas cards, though? Do you I like just, getting them? Do, I you, still, do you put them up? So like, I had Chris's on my fridge still from last year. And then when I got his new one, I just... Swap them out. And Do you keep his old one for? Oh, no, absolutely not. In a scrapbook, little shoebox, fire starter, scrapbooking, fire starter, or you just go right in the trash. Because there's some people that just take. You, they you send a Christmas card to some people, and they're like, "That's nice, trash." Yeah, I mean, no, I, I'll put them up on the fridge, yeah. and people will be like, "Who's that?" And I'm like, "Oh, that's my boss." I'm really happy that you got to have your boss's Christmas card, as if you don't see him enough. <laughs> yeah, no. It's... Every time you go to get a bush latte, the fridge, <laughs> every time I open the fridge, I'm like, oh well. See, I don't think you're on my Christmas card list. No. But that's because you're a single dude. You don't care about my kids. Like, <laughs> no, I really, really don't. I thought about I thought about sending out a Christmas card this year, but I was like, mm, no, nah, I don't want to. We, we, I use the word term we loosely. We put uh, the ones we get. Hillary's got this thing that like goes on the wall. Yeah, every most wives have some some special way, specific way to mount the Christmas cards they receive, whether it's like a thing with clothes yep, little pins, clothes pins. Yep. or ours get taped on the railing of the stairs, which I don't love because then I always knock one off coming down the stairs and they're all like tied together. <laughs> so so if you one knock one down and like avalanche. 18 are going down. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And we did the whole, this last weekend, um, think Christmas started. Hillary's family's big Christmas family. And so everything went up this weekend. Get, we oh, get the tree. Yeah, okay. But then I give her credit. Because we get back from family Christmas on like the twenty seventh, and it's all over. Like it's done. Yeah, it's, it doesn't drag on until. Yeah, that was March, and you're yeah, still yeah, Christmas yeah. lights are right. still coming on. Right. That was that's most of my neighbors. Well, well, should we start it now? Finally. Yeah. Well, yeah. why don't you give me a little more energy this time? Well, hit that intro button, please. Oh, that was not bad. Please and thank you. Don't mess it up. Welcome to Everything Egg, and then some, presented by Kibble Equipment, a frequently fun, usually informative, and always tangent-filled look into the industry that feeds the world. From cutting-edge John Deere technology to the impact of social media on the agriculture industry, no topic is off-topic. Hey, that was pretty good. 23, 24 episodes in, we're yeah. starting to hit and our stride. I think I got your leaky chair because I'm slowly slowly sinking down you can't afford a leaky chair because you are not tall enough <laughs> i know that that's why i have to adjust so we're back today we've been doing a lot of podcasts just the three of us yeah i think the last like three have been just the three of us yep we have a special guest again a very special guest and again because you were on an episode that you a lost. little bit earlier well yeah Chad's actually been on two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> Only one of them made it to the internet. Um, but we have us three. So it's me, Kibble Man Sam, you, other, other Kibble Sam, yep. Boss Man Chris. And then we have Chad Boondorf back with us, crop protection rep 
from Corteva. Did I say that right this time? <laughs> yes. I wrote it down in my little email notes. In your notes. Uh, but he's coming back to do a Sea and Spray Ultimate Season recap. So the first podcast we did on Sea and Spray, you had just started spraying, but now we're going to go through all of your experiences and you can give us your kind of, I would say, final feedback, at least on the first year that you've used the system, the business model, and then things that we learned that we can use down the road, you can use down the road, and maybe some advice for those that are interested in the sea and spray system. And we'll also talk about sea and spray premium, which is an option that you can add to your current sprayer. I guess I would start with, Chad, what's your biggest takeaway from your usage of the sea and spray system from this spring slash summer? Probably worked a little better than what we expected. Efficacy was really, really good. I felt that we would spray a much higher spray rate in corn and soybeans post than we did. That being said, while we're going to spray less post-emergence weeds as we move forward, I believe we will start to see an uptick in pre-emergence herbicides prior to post-R applications and then even with the post-applications. So pre-emerge being weeds shouldn't be out of the ground. Crops are probably out of the ground a little bit. Yeah, so your pre-emergence herbicides have nothing necessarily to do with the crop being in or out of the ground, but the weeds aren't out. Yep, so you're trying to do a broadcast spray to keep them from coming out of the ground. Right, correct. The year was a little different with it being drier than some years. I would say the post-emergence weeds were similar to other years that we saw, and in your mind, there's more out there than there is, but when you turn it over to the cameras, and I just thought that the acre sprayed would come in a lot higher. In my mind, I budgeted we were going to cover 50% of the field. In corn, post-emerge, we averaged 11. 11% sprayed, sprayed versus, versus a broadcast. Yep. Now, we had aggressive pre's on in front of all this, right? but we do that every year. That wasn't a change in our weed control program. And in soybeans, I anticipated we would spray 40 to 50% the first time post, and maybe 20 to 30 the second time. In soybeans, we were probably sub 20 the first time post. And then the second time, while we didn't have as many weeds, we still probably were approaching 20%. The reason was beans were canopied for the most part. Yep. They were, you know, I tried to perfect time that second pass right at canopy time. And just the movement of the sprayer coming through, and it actually gave me some confidence that when in doubt, it sprays. You know, as we look back, we just didn't see the misses that I anticipated. I wasn't expecting perfection. This was better than what I anticipated going in. It's hard to envision a camera being better than your eyes, but the camera is definitely better than what I could pick up. Or There's a reason you don't spot spray. Because whenever you go out to spot spray, you didn't spray enough. This thing was very, very good. Yeah, and we have a report from John Deere. Kudos to you. I don't know if you noticed this uh, this chart. So this is the f- the fleet at max. Yep. So you you had the the highest return uh, of anybody, and that hopefully that's good because you that's your job. <laughs> <laughs> but how are they measuring that return? So the percent sprayed versus not sprayed. Okay, so that's what. Yeah. So you had the highest, or, the, or I should say the lowest. Sprayed. sprayed for that yeah so when we say percent not sprayed versus sprayed and you said 
11% of your field was corn. Yep. yep. You take your total acres of the field. That's an 89% savings just on chemical volume. As I've mentioned to you guys before, because I'm a crop protection rep that farms in my territory, it doesn't look good if I have weeds. We were not running a minimalist program. We were a little more aggressive to begin with. You were running an A-plus program? Well, attempting to. Yeah. It still wasn't perfection, right? (laughs) If you drove by, I mean, you can still find weeds in our fields, but my goal is to have nothing. So that's why, you know, if you're running an A program, C and spray is the definite fit. If you're a C and you're trying to get by with as little passes, it's going to spray more. It's going to trigger at a higher rate at that point. But over time, if you tweak your system, you'll get your you'll lower your spray rates every year and just have a better overall weed control program. Yep. So you were the extreme. So you were the the highest. So just to set expectations for everybody uh, in general, the average across North America was sixty to sixty five percent, which I think is still really good. That's yeah, really I mean, good. I mean, you're budgeting. You were, you budgeted less than that for when you were putting together the ROI, right? Yes. Because 65% still is only 35% sprayed. Right, yes. That still would be very, very good ROI. I was trying to f- remember what button on the button bar it is, but... Oh, that's <laughs> for you, Chad. You Big round won. of applause. <laughs> we need a jacket. <laughs> Get a hat. Good hat. Green jacket, gold jacket. Who gives a bleep? Happy Gilmore, come on. <laughs> Keep up, guys. Jeez. <laughs> I live my life in movie quotes. I need somebody to keep up. So one one of the things, uh, so we talked about the results. One of the things we talked about last time too was you have to change your herbicide program to make this work. How much work was that for you to get that tweaked up? It would be easy to do today. My biggest challenge was we had everything bought and in the shed when we made this decision. So I just had to exchange some stuff, carrying some stuff over. For us, the real savings will actually be viewed in 24 from a, like a cash flow standpoint, because I have enough post-emerge herbicides to take care of everything this year already on hand. So fortunately, I bought them at the high of 22's <laughs> season for 23, <laughs> and I'll have expensive product to spray in 24. You can't like just, it's not like a hedge. You can't, <laughs> can't return it and get price protection. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> so that just call that out. You can't return it for full price and then just rebuy it at yeah. the lower price. This yeah. isn't Target. <laughs> Menards. <laughs> you just put the rebate in and then you return everything. Um, yeah. So for people considering this, there are kits available. We'll talk about premium. Uh, there are some multiples still available. If you're thinking about this for 24, you really need to get on this ASAP. As far as switching up your program. What did, I guess what advice would you have for, maybe you don't want to share this, for like another crop protection rep as far as when a customer would come to them and say, I'm interested in the sea and spray ultimate system. What are your thoughts? I think the first step is to probably sit down with your kibble salesman, talk about the product, involve you guys, but also at the same time, meet with the grower and his agronomy provider slash consultant to kind of build a program for their operation together. Something that's, you know, in corn, if you're going to go to sea and spray, and this is something that we would encourage people to start moving towards anyway, but as a two-pass corn system, start with a really aggressive pre-up front and then come back and sea and spray. The thing I'm questioning today is, today we put some of our pre down and then we layer more on with our post-pass in corn. I'm questioning potentially moving 
on some of our acres, we're going to increase the pre-rate so I can just go out and see and spray on the post pass. So you did some of that, right? We did a little bit of that and that's where it got fun (laughs) because other than I had to stop and get out and go to the bathroom, but we went through and sprayed 415 acres of corn post without having to fill. Yeah, so you tied both tanks together. Actually, that was just one. That was just the one tank? Using the one tank. Wow. <laughs> so I sprayed 415 acres post, and but only used 35 acres worth of product. Yeah. So what you're saying is if you've got an addiction to cigarettes. <laughs> it's you could spray is not for you. See and spray ultimate. <laughs> just just doing target spraying, not for you. There's no smoke breaks. No, but now if, if the guy's not going to put a pre on, and up the aggressive rate of the pre, then when you go out with sea and spray, if you're just going to go like a post-only type plan, it may not be as cost-effective. You, you can't do what I did. We're still learning, right? So like I, we're going to take some acres next year, and we're going to up the pre, and then just do sea and spray. And then we're going to take some other fields, and we're going to put a pre on, but we're also going to layer in a pre, and then try to do some comparisons. Hey, what do we like better? We might even do some playing around and do some in the same field so we can evaluate that. Yeah. And so you did the sea and spray only mode and then one, the other customer we had did sea and spray mode only also, they tried that out and that really opened my eyes. Um, we, we talk about premium. So you have the ultimate system, which is a dual tank, dual solution system with the carbon fiber boom. So the premium option. So this is a kit that we can install yep. on an existing 2018 or newer exact emerge. But it's exact the apply, same. But exact apply. Exact apply. Exact. Got the wrong exact. Um, shame. But you, so you don't swap out the boom. You need a steel boom. <laughs> shame. You get the cameras, but it's a single take. And I originally thought that that would be very, very limited take rate. But based on your experience and the other customer's experience, I think it's very viable. Is that you, you're yeah. filling that tank it's, up and you're you're spraying a lot of acres. It's not quite as versatile, but you could adjust to make it work, right? Yeah. You could you could do some adjustments to make it work. The one thing that I'm going, that I, the carbon fiber boom with the boom track is an incredible upgrade. Yeah. So that's, we, we have some spots and fields with ravines and some odd shaped stuff that before I would leave one side of the boom on auto and I would manually run my up and down on the other side because it would start to swing and I couldn't do it. And if you think about the cameras and getting a good, clear, confident view with the carbon fiber boom and the new boom track. I was able to drive through these areas at 10 miles an hour and it maintained 24 inches off the ground. I never could run our old boom at 24 inches off the ground and I never stuck the boom into the dirt one time. And that's that's a big difference between ultimate and premium is premium will still have boom track two. two. Boom track two. So you've got yeah. your existing steel 120 foot boom. It's got to be the steel 120 foot boom. The premium kit is basically just because you got you were, you would already have exact apply, so you've already got the individual nozzle shut off. It would just be basically the cameras, the computers, or the VPUs, and all of the harnessing to add that to your existing sprayer. But you've still got the same boom track system, and you've still got the same solution system, and you're still running off one twelve hundred gallon tank, for example. Right. The other thing that we, as we were going into this, you know, we have two tanks. I was very concerned about the filling thing, and I made up some cheat sheets for the guys to use. There was two things we realized. We were covering way more acres with the sea and spray tank than we thought anticipated going yep. in. And when you're stopping and all you're doing 
is adding a layered residual to the tank and water to that constant tank, you can actually maximize your three inch fill, fill very quickly and you're back out. Okay. Because the time consuming fill is the post-emerge, the adjuvants, all that stuff. That constant tank is just herbicide and water for the most part. Yep. So that so you're not filling that that scene spray every time. No. Yep. No, we were going two to three, and they okay. would have when I would pull up, we could fill that 750 gallon tank, and basically no. Or normally you're idling the water way down to fill, trying to delay that. This case, you just barfed it all on and you're back up and running. So your experience though with the Boom Track Ultimate was that it really was as good as they say it is. You know, and I believe the stat from Johnny, which I'm gonna know I'm gonna get wrong, is at 12 miles an hour at so operating speed you could stay within 10 inches of your set point 97 percent of the time which is significantly better than boom track too so that'll be something that we'll have to see with that system it is limited now so the new our new sea and spray ultimate system can operate up to 15 miles an hour in 30 inch rows the sea and spray premium is still going to be limited to 12 miles an hour I think some of that being the boom, the boom, the boom height control yeah. system. Cause we, yeah. we got a report also. So the system will go into fallback mode if it it's out of um, it's happy mode. Yeah. So, so if it's out of the operating conditions, it wants to fully utilize sea and spray. Yeah. It goes into fallback mode and out of all the acres that these sea and spray ultimate rigs went only 9% of the time. When they're doing sea and spray, it went into fallback mode. Yeah, where default, you can choose to yep. do well spray or not spray. Usually you're going to spray. Right. You're yep. spray. I, and for us, the only time that I really felt we were going into fallback was when I was going around curves and corners. Yeah. So Just that's speed too high. Speed's too of, high. Of the boom. Yep. So the boot tip speed was too high. Yep. Boom kicked out. Yeah. We've got a report too. So speed too fast, um, boom too high, boom too low. Yeah, and um, so dust, the, you know. Yeah, the two main reasons that the scene spray system would kick out and go into fallback mode is the boom was too high. So whether it was big hills or ravines, washouts, waterways, whatever it may be, boom too high and dust. Those are the two main factors yeah, of why it went back into fallback mode. Boom too high was five times more than anything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then you also look at it. So worst case scenario, though. 91% of the time when the scene spray system was on, it was operating within its parameters, and it was going, and it was doing the job it was supposed to do. 9% of the acres that it covered, only 9% of the time it went into fallback. That's, that number really shocked me when I was looking at some of these charts and some of the numbers on it. So I worst case really scenario, impressive. though, on a, on a boom, you know, a steel boom with the boom, the boom track 2 and the scene spray premium, it's just going to spray a little more. Yeah, if your so boom gets so if your fallback is a little low. So if your fallback is to spray instead of not because you can change that. So if you change your fallback to if it goes out of its parameters, you want it to spray. Then yeah, if it falls out of the parameters and falls out of the where it's comfortable operating, then it's just gonna spray normal. So so I have a good friend that one of his concerns was acres per hour through the machine, including fill time, everything. Because he was worried about fill time. He will do a lot of post-emerge spraying at upper teens. And he gave me his numbers for average acres per hour the first week of... Oh, upper teens in speed. Like 17. 17, 18. He sprays yep. 18 and doesn't... And he's good. He doesn't drive anything down. I was 
four acres per hour higher average <laughs> going 12, driving driving at 12. 12 yeah and our fields are spread out so we have a lot of road time moving the machine even between the partners and i didn't think there was any way for engine hours acre sprayed that i would compete with him and we were ahead but it's because of the sea and spray portion of it just when we get rolling we're rolling we yeah. cover covered big acres with per tank load mm-hmm. yeah so there i think there's an opportunity you, you Wait, that hold comment. on hold on chris i know where this button is now <laughs> you win again chad <laughs> you always do so you you made the comment like okay i actually have to stop to go to the bathroom when you're doing scene spray only mode the, the other customer made that same comment they're like yeah you realize you, know, you used to get to stretch your legs a lot so here's a new <laughs> we need a precision upgrade for the sprayers like a home catheter kit <laughs> Ugh. Oh, come on, Chris. Oh, Don't geez. be weird and gross. Depends. Better than, better than trucker bomb. Depends. <laughs> just trucker bomb. Just Gatorade bottles. <laughs> trucker bombs. God. <laughs> I thought you were going to go with like, instead of foot pegs, they should have like an elliptical, you know, to keep your legs moving. Or yeah, the little biking. But no, you went down a weird pee pee path. <laughs> <laughs> Was there anything, Chad, that you would like to see tweaked? Maybe either let's just stick to the boom track and the sea and spray ultimate system. Is there something you would tweak? Like, is it, is it, should the tank sizes be a little different going in? I, I just didn't know what the weight of the machine, how it was going to handle in the field. Now we had an abnormally dry summer. I never once thought the machine was too heavy. Cause, cause just for the sake of people knowing the two solution system, just the lines, all the steel lines and all that does add weight. I believe the carbon fiber boom compared to the steel boom, even with the solution lines, is very similar. I believe I, so. I, th- I think the overall weight is very similar. I think we talked about it in the spring. We had thrown some numbers at it, but the weight ended up being similar. There's a part of me that said, I would now as I've done this, I would maybe like the, the pre-emerged tank or the residual tank to be a little bigger, but I don't necessarily know that I would need the sea and spray tank to be any larger. Okay. Just so that I could, instead of seven, you know, on my residual tank, we did 10 gallons per acre is kind of what we targeted. And yours is a 1200, right? So it'd be a 750, 450 split. You'd like like an 850, 350 or even more. Or I would consider leaving the one at 450 and then making the back tank a little bigger. Oh. You know, so in an ideal world, I'd like maybe a thousand and 450. Yep. Or a thousand and 500, which is what the bigger one is Mm -hmm. now. I don't know if there's a lot of changes to the carriage at that point where we add a lot more weight, but this year we didn't feel like it was too heavy. Now, that being said, I think there was only one day that I had to spray some fungicide a second time where I did spray in some moisture and got a little bit of mud on it. But otherwise, for the most part, never threw mud with the sprayer last year. Well, and speaking of, we had, we, it was dry, but dust was our number two fallback reason, and that was 14 acres total. But it's not a lot. No. And, and I think people, I don't know if you, what's the recommendation from deer? You get out and wipe off the cameras at the start of the day. Is that kind of their, I think that's the yeah, recommendation. That was the recommendation. Yeah. yeah. Unless I think there is, there has been a, something happens and it's right. going in fallback all the time. So right. true. But I was, I had a lot of questions from people with the camera system itself. And they were like, how often do you have to clean those things? And how it's always dusty behind the sprayer, but how often does that become an issue? So we never cleaned the camera lenses. Oh. 
Jeez. <laughs> now, just letting her ride. But I want to clarify that if we've got where we've sprayed hard for two, three days, four days, we pretty consistently, if when we get our off day, the sprayer gets washed. Yep. So trying to keep, get the chemical off, keep things yep. looking halfway decent. There's different parts of the country where dust would be a bigger deal. If you think of most of Kibble's geography, for the majority of your geography, your western side would have more dust than we're going to have through here. Just soil type, structure, and makeup. Very seldom did I think we had enough dust. I actually thought our bigger issue would, I, I, I don't know if dust would get clarified as this, but when the beans got big and we had all that movement coming underneath the machine, that's when we were falling into fallback mode the most. And so would that get attributed to dust or would it get attributed to the plant movement as the wheels are coming through? I'm not sure. But that's the one thing, if if you pull up our second post pass in soybeans, you will see that the center section is on a lot, but I don't believe that was dust related. I believe it was more soybean size and the movement in the canopy, it couldn't get a constant vision. So you'll see a lot of spots where the center section was spraying in that second post pass. But that being said, even though that was triggering a lot, our second post pass was still, I think, Roughly, give or take a percent or two, was still like around 20%. Now, the weeds at that point might have been at five. Right. But the center was just running more steadily. Yep. What about the, the uh, display interface and the settings and things like that as far as dialing it in? Did you have to spend much time adjusting sensitivity settings? We didn't. In the end, I never changed the before and after. Um, and I didn't change the sensitivities because it was working. So I, I did not tweak. I was very happy with the performance. Where it was really, where it was the most fun because you could see the volunteer corn very easily was both the, the two-pass posts and soybeans because you'd see that corn plant out there in the wing and it might be just below the canopy at that point or just above. And the fun thing to do with AutoPath, you're not driving, right? So you can lean ahead and watch is to watch the scene spray kick on. It's like, it got it. <laughs> That's actually when I became really, really confident. It didn't miss a volunteer corn plant and soybeans. It was like scary good. And because sometimes you can't see the broad leaves that you're spraying. So you don't oh, know. Oh, because they, they blend in with the They're blend in and they're, they're shorter and leaking through. So yeah. that was really powerful. You mentioned AutoPath. Uh, is this year, this is year two? Year two with AutoPath. Yeah, how did that work in the sprayer? We talk about the combines a lot, especially after harvest year, but how did that work for you in the sprayer? At 11 to 12 miles an hour, it works really, really well. If you start to push the speed, then you have to go back and manually take over and drive. So I don't enjoy driving that much <laughs> to drive 14, 15. So... I'm pretty content with 11 and AutoPath. What would be your advice for those that still have some apprehension around the business model for Sea and Spray? Because this is going to apply Sea and Spray Premium. We talked about the aftermarket kit and Sea and Spray Ultimate. Same business model, the pay to spray piece of it. Now, I will I will say this just right out of the gate. If you're looking at a Sea and Spray Premium kit, and I won't comment on other manufacturers, but they're going to be a lot more expensive than this. But a Sea and Spray Premium Kit, if you have the correctly configured Model Year 18, 120-foot boom with exact apply, is a $14,000 kit plus install. 
for all of those 36 cameras, all the VPUs, all the harnessing. I think if you were to buy 36 cameras here, we'd be over 14 grand. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you get four, or 36 cab cams. So that's part of the business model is a lower upfront cost. But what was what would be your advice to someone who still has concerns or apprehension there? I can understand anybody not wanting to pay for technology or not wanting to pay like a per acre fee. And I was concerned about that going into this. So therefore I built the Chad spreadsheet to make, so this is how we're going to make it work. And this is how we're going to pay for it. And we factored in the cost of the cameras. After we got spraying, the license credit fee really became a non-factor very quickly. The performance was so great that that was a minimal cost to adoption. I can deal with the licensing charge if the sprayer was going to cost us 30% more out of the gate we probably don't do this and stay with our exact deploy model that we have yep we're this where i can pay for it as i use it in my belief is as i do this the support from kibble and from john deere corporate will continue to advance and move this technology forward and provide the updates and the things i need to put it to use and if those dollars are being invested that way, I'm okay with it if it continues to get better and improve. And that would be my concern if I went to another brand or another, what's your plans for the continued movement and the advancements as we go forward? And that's just something that I think John Deere has just done better over the years with all of their new product launches is the support that goes behind that piece of equipment. As you buy something that's maybe cutting edge or on the front side, very seldomly do people leave John Deere because of that. There's enough support and follow through to make it work. Don't get caught up in the licensing fee. If you can improve your weed control system and apply product where it's needed, you're going to come out financially ahead. And, and that comes from somebody, you know, we all hate paying per acre charges for things. But if it's done the right way and there's advancement behind it, it's okay. Yeah. The intent is that it's an overall win-win for everybody. Um, because if you stop paying it if you stop using it that's a built-in accountability loop to deer and to us and hey it's not work why is why is chad not turning this on is there a problem with the system is it you know is, is there a feature we're missing think of all the technology advancements that we've come with that john deere has come with your competitors have come with over the last 20 years without a support system because the crop has to get planted and the crop has to get harvested nobody stops necessarily to learn new technology to have a system in place that can educate us on how to use and apply the principles that are being brought to market. You know, you brought up AutoPath. If it wasn't for the support team that helped us get it set up and get it implemented within our operation, then it becomes second nature, right? Today, in our planter tractor, it's got auto turn, the whole nine yards. You guys helped us get it set up, get comfortable with it. Now when it doesn't work, my brother can't plant. <laughs> Or, and, and, or when machine sync's not working, your the CFO is not happy. Yeah, I mean, machine sync's another great example. Everybody can drive the grain cart tractor next to the combine and know how many rows to stay over. And my mother is seventy two years old, and she's the chief financial officer. She ended up because of the one guy, one person that helps us had to drive more grain cart the last two falls. She, my mom does not love technology, and the machine sync quit working one day. <laughs> I had to have her stop the tractor, shut it down, kill the power, restart it, and everything started working. And, and, and that seems like a simple thing, but my 14-year-old niece, 
my 17 year old daughter, all of a sudden we're moving a lot of different people into the grain cart and machine sync enables it. Cause all they got to do is push the button and be a seat switch. Yep. Yep. And it takes the pressure off that whole process with larger soybean platforms, all those things. There's not a lot of space with the unloading yep. auger and you're sometimes going at an angle. So you can't follow the row. Yep. yep. So technology advancements and then support from kibble and from deer for us to implement these things and bring them into our operation and maybe slow down for part of a day to get comfortable with it is really, really good. It's all part of the advancement of agriculture. Yeah. I I think, you know, we just want to set the stage. We'll probably have you back again to talk exact shot at some point. Right. Okay. Um, we might need like SNL. If you, you're on like five times, you get a five timers club jacket. I think we might need yeah. to work or like out. a medallion. <laughs> we should get like a little patch. <laughs> get patches made <laughs> like a badge letterman's jacket. We need kibble <laughs> letterman's jackets. That'd be kind of a cool idea. Marketing. Get on it. Ah, that's a good idea. There you go. Not good bad. brainstorming session guys. All right. <laughs> well, Chad, thanks for coming in. I think the insight that you give is we can talk all day, but we're still, we're, we're the dealer. We're John Deere paid by deer. You're actually somebody who's, who's spent their own capital investment on the product and believes in it. So we appreciate all of your insight. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at kibble equipment. I am at kibble man, Sam, that other Sam is the other kibble Sam. And Chris is at Horeb on Twitter and at Chris Horeb on Instagram. It's the X. How many times do we have to go over this? It's oh yeah, Twitter. it's always going to be Twitter, it's, man. It's I'm sorry. X. I'm just, the X is so stupid. <laughs> well, see you later.